0: Welcome to In Early, the crypto podcast, where I speak to those at the forefront of the digital asset space, telling real life stories, discussing the growth and growing pains of the industry, and exploring how blockchain technology has made an impact on people's lives. My name is Matt Green, and I'm the blockchain litigation lead at Shoesmiths. This week's episode features Catherine Wooler, the business unit director at CoinCover, a market leader in protecting cryptocurrency from hackers and human error, providing services like key retrieval and re-access to crypto assets, which has led to a partnership with Ledger. We talk about what CoinCover does, as well as how it can play a key role in ongoing US litigation, Ferguson and Coinbase as an expert. We also look at CoinCover's response to the Treasury's future financial services regulatory regime for crypto assets, as well as thoughts on the digital pound and CBDCs generally contributions to Crypto UK, and Catherine's recent feature in Forbes, considering the rising value of crypto assets, despite a tough period for the industry. Catherine, thank you for coming down.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: Brilliant. I think let's just get straight into it. Um, So I met Adam Smith, the co-founder and the CTO of uh, CoinCover, maybe about I don't know, three years ago, something like that, um, when the industry and the business was quite a lot smaller. And when CoinCover was, as far as I'm aware, more to do or, or almost exclusively to do with, with in- insurance. Since CoinCover um, is now a major player in this space, can you tell me about who CoinCover are, what its main aim is, what services it provides?
1: Yeah, sure. No problem. So um, the insurance element to what we do is is still there. Of course, we were born out um, of a number of projects with which insurance was was an element. So I think really at its core, what we're trying to do is solve two of the really massive problems with crypto. So the first is that people lose access. of so One of the things I love to say to a room full of people, whether it's 10 people or 500, is put your hand up if you have never had to press reset password. And if it's, you know, your email's at work or it's, you know, an online shopping service to do your food shop, that's fine. Mm-hmm. For crypto, that is often a massive problem because you, you lose access or people that have, you know, mined tens of millions of pounds worth of crypto and then it's, you know, lost forever. Mm-hmm. So um, we assist a significant proportion of the industry uh, with making sure the data is accessed. so we back up their key material. Um, and, of course, the second massive problem that we see in crypto morning, noon and night and in the press pretty much daily is hacks, scams and theft. So we have transaction monitoring, um, so we try and reduce those instances. And essentially what we're trying to achieve is that I, I think... For- Personally, I feel what's missing from crypto as an industry is that trust element. And if we can solve that, you know, we can allow the industry as a whole to reach its full um, potential.
0: So there seems to be sort of two arms to this. There's sort of the monitoring and recovery side. And then I suppose the recovery side sort of falls into your sort of seed phrase type stuff, right? Up. So yep, back up. So it's, it's back up and then sort of recover, etc. I want to break it down a little bit so I understand um, exactly how um, it all works and what services you provide. Your site says CoinCover offers unique technology, right, that shields digital assets for crypto companies and individual investors. What is that unique technology? Is that something you can share?
1: Yeah, sure. So we built it. Uh, mine's much finer than mine, the CTO that you, you mentioned. Mm-hmm. So we've got um, military grade secure um software which means that we're not a custodian we're not going to hold on to your crypto for mm-hmm. you but we have technology which helps recover it should the worst happen so that's in the case of the key material yep um in case of the um transaction protection we we are a number of companies out there that have big data so if you say yeah i woke up this morning and, you know, uh, my name's Matt and I want to try and move $100 worth of Bitcoin. There's plenty of companies that will say, is that a good idea or a bad idea? Mm-hmm. And we do that, which is great. We protect millions of wallets. We've analysed billions of transactions. I think we've got, which to my knowledge, no one else has got in the world, yeah. is we've managed to get protection from Lloyds of London. So we're underwritten by Lloyds of London. So should the worst happen and you incur loss, we have the ability to
0: put that right. And um, as of the date of this recording, we we believe that you're the only one who...
1: As far as I'm aware, yes. I keep saying it and no one corrects me. So, <laughs> and to write in if if you, if someone knows knows differently. And look, there are pure insurance providers out there. They're great. I share stages with them at, at panel shows at various yep. events. I think, you know, particularly being able to get sort of that um, professional indemnity insurance in crypto is relatively recent. You know, it's, we always make the joke about how would you insure the first car? If the car's only been invented, you don't yep. know how fast it's going to go, how likely it is to have an accident, how bad the accident's going to be. So the birthplace of crypto was, of course, really hard to insure, right? So fast forward to today, there are some insurance firms out there that do pure insurance. We're a little bit different. We're a tech provider, but we have an insurance backup to what we do, which has been really popular with um, yeah, our 350 or so customers, which is great.
0: So in terms of insurance, then, if you're saying you're underwritten by lawyers in London, when would that kick in? Because you're not providing as far as I'm aware, correct me if I'm wrong, an insurance product yes, providing tech. So how does that kick in? Yeah, that sure. value?
1: So look, pure insurance is regulated by the FCA. That's mm-hmm. not what we provide. We do something a little bit different. We have technology, which in the case of failure, the unlikely case of failure is so when you're flying a plane, we have the ability to put that straight. So there's a limit to that. Uh, most of our clients are looking up to $5 million worth of coverage. And um, for those that want more, that's fine. We can We can assist them with that. But essentially, you know, there's no equivalent in the old world, in the TradFi world of, you know, the financial services compensation scheme. So mm-hmm. you have money in the bank up to a certain limit. If your bank goes bust, they'll put it right. Those things just don't exist in crypto. I suppose another good example would be all the protection you have in your credit card. You know, if you go and buy a t-shirt and mm. the the shop won't put it right and it's wrong, your credit card will. So I think those sorts of protections, whether it's for the consumers or whether it's for the businesses, just haven't really existed. So we seek to try and address the two major problems with an insurance backup, which has been
0: really popular. So who are your customers? And is it a subscription model? How does it work?
1: Yeah, sure. So we're a, a traditional SaaS business. Yep. If you like, we're, we're a tech provider. Um, we've been really blessed with some fantastic customers. We've got about 350 now across a huge variety. So essentially, anyone that has crypto is keen to see it protected, which is yep. is great. Um, so that can be anything from... An exchange, a hedge fund. Um, we've got governments that use us. Um, so yeah, a huge variety of really, anyone that is has, is either got crypto at rest or, or crypto at me.
0: And they, I guess, pay for use of your tech. And if anything goes wrong, then again, that that policy underneath sits. Yeah, exactly. So to my mind, it may well be a win-win for customers.
1: Yeah, sure. So look, ultimately, we are looking to reduce risk and cost. Uh, one of the things that's hugely interesting. I come from. A crypto background um we were talking before we started recording that you know if you've been a lawyer or a mechanic or a hairdresser for four or five years it's nothing for crypto obviously it's it's forever yeah, so
0: yeah
1: I, I you know i've i've worked for a number of crypto businesses now um whether it's an exchange i've done some work in health tech you know i'm really passionate about the power of blockchain and the power of crypto but what you often see in these exchanges is that they're essentially trying to self-insure so they kind of look at their balance sheet and go, "Oh, we were doing quite well, particularly before the crypto winter." Mm-hmm. And you know, we'll, we we expect a certain proportion of our transactions to go wrong. So <clears throat> let's just say it went wrong for you or I. That's really bad reputation. We have both got massive followings on social media.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: No exchange wants you or I online saying, "Well, I this happened and it, it it's wrong." So the self insurance is great. The challenge is when you get big systemic problems, like say FTX is mm-hmm. a massive problem. So, it
0: collapsed so- a massive crack-up. <laughs> hackle-
1: yeah, exactly. So we're trying to say, look, we hope the worst doesn't happen, but if it does, we're here. So like like many sort of uh, fintech sasses or regtech sasses, we are looking to reduce risk uh, for our customers. And in turn, they, they provide that to their customers, which is really popular. And I think particularly with some of the regulation that's coming in right now, you know, regulators worldwide were quite slow to regulate crypto. Not the first time new technologies come in, the okay. regulators go, oh, we're not quite sure what to do about that. And I think there's some really interesting questions being asked by regulators globally about, okay, well, what can we do to make this safe? And actually a number of regulators are now talking about you must have third-party key material backup. Yep. There's regulation coming in a number of jurisdictions which talks about kind of, don't try not to get hacked. It is to They're be trying clear. To, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, but uh, I think culturally, I know we're going to talk about a particular case in a few questions time. There's a big difference between the position of try not to get hacked and you must have robust policies and processes Mm -hmm. not to get hacked. It's your responsibility. And those are two, I shouldn't be lecturing a lawyer, but intellectually, they're they're quite different positions, I think.
0: Do you think then that CoinCover have been a massively, um, well, let's rephrase, have CoinCover been around really providing a service to the industry before it was needed or has it always been needed?
1: Oh, well, that's that's a really good question. So I think, you know, we have some, Amazing investors, you know we're at, we're at Series B now, and I think for innovative and fast growing, fast scaling businesses, you know we're we're a reasonable size now. We've got sixty people, yeah. We've um, got three hundred fifty-ish customers. We're on Series B. You know whether you lead the market or whether you're late to the party is interesting, right? And you kind of don't want a very crowded marketplace. So I think you know we're very focused on making sure that crypto can really reach its full potential yeah. and particularly for the way that our services are priced. um, I would love our service to be in every crypto business in the world.
0: It just makes sense that uh, it just seems that having spoken to you before and done a bit of research, it's such a good solution. And you guys have been around for such an, uh, again, in the world of crypto for a long period of time. It's almost as though this service was available prior to anybody or any huge institutions needing it. And now that they do then come to you guys knowing that you guys have been in the market for a while. Yeah, sure. My understanding of it.
1: Yeah, and look, I think that's about credibility, right? And I think the, the crypto infrastructure, as you say, is is relatively new. I come from a TradFi background. I come from a long mm. sort of fintech career. So, you know, it made sense to me that a lot of the innovation is with really small plucky startups. Mm-hmm. And it can take a while for that kind of message to get out there. And there's that, obviously, that sort of critical mass moment where, you know, we're very... Um, forthcoming with you know the, the customers we have and who we protect and you know I yeah, I yeah from my perspective I would love to hear someone say oh I won't use that exchange or this service because they don't have coin cover in their workflow that's kind of something that's the ultimate, like the sale right that's, that's yeah sure
0: I'd like to dig into a little bit more about some of these services because I think it's useful to understand. We can talk about these these phrases in abstract, but it'd be good to sort of dig into a little bit more. So there are three core services, really, as far as, far as I'm aware. And you, again, you'll correct me if I'm wrong. There's theft protection, disaster recovery, customer protection. So let's let's sort of take these in turn, if that's okay. Um, theft protection, it's about monitoring um, and monitoring services. And I, I think I've quoted, I've got a quote on my, my sheet at least. It's got to be quoted from somewhere. It says, preventing anomalies from unauthorized access. What does that mean?
1: Yeah, sure. So the the theft protection is our transaction monitoring service. So there's Mm -hmm. there's a number of other players in the marketplace that will say, uh, going back to your fictional $100 worth of crypto, um, you're trying to move some crypto. There are plenty of big data businesses that will tell you uh, and risk rate essentially. So what we're saying is that on the basis of the data we've got, which is a great data set, we're the only people that can price the risk right now. So we can make sure that we've got a great white list of people we think are safe for you to send your crypto to. So <clears throat> that from the perspective of, well, hang on, what if it's a hack or a scam or, or it's theft? Hmm. Well, if it turns out our data for any reason was duff and actually great aunt Maureen was not a hacker yesterday, but unfortunately today she is. Right. If we've got that wrong, we have the ability to put
0: it right for you. So does it prevent withdrawals from your clients' addresses? until a monitoring service has been conducted and then once all the green lights appear so to speak then that transaction can be made.
1: Obviously each of our clients has got slightly different workflows Um, we try and be as flexible as we can so we have lots of clients that have their own technology that we integrate with and we have some that just say actually I'll access your services you know through one of the main providers and there's a number of people that that onward sell our services for us
0: so it's not as if it's a a, a one size fits all It's it's far more bespoke
1: exactly correct and look there's a lot of variety right so when we're helping governments or exchanges or hedge funds or asset managers they've all got slightly different needs so the great thing about having our own technology is that it's it's flexible and we can build what our client needs and we've got some amazing stuff that is currently kind of in the pipeline that we're really excited to to get out there
0: what data set is it that you is it one that the coin cover have developed over the years is it an integration of other data sets
1: yeah both yeah we, we buy in data and uh, we also have the ability to apply machine learning which is really exciting so uh, a good example of that would be um I, I would imagine that you're predominantly uk based i'm sure you do a little bit of travel so one would assume that you're waking up at two in the morning london time and withdrawing every penny of crypto you have mm-hmm. and sending it to an address in a country which perhaps has high levels of fraud would be an unusual transaction for yep. me. So that is one of the benefits of machine learning that would, would pick that up.
0: Right. So the, it, it's not just necessarily all humans sitting there sort of with matchsticks in their eyes trying to monitor it exactly. if there is, there is an automated yeah, of course. learning process.
1: Yeah, and look, I think, you know, the, the interesting thing, going back to sort of the insurance element, is that, you know, the joy of crypto and the joy of blockchain is that this data is available. It's available to everyone. We can see it. I might not necessarily be able to associate it with you as the person that's mm-hmm. sitting opposite me, but that data is available and the powers in the data. One of the f- phrases I hear all the time in conversations about big data is that data is the new oil, which I think is just the most beautiful. We can have a whole other podcast. About
0: <laughs> I'll have to get you back for that then.
1: Yes. Yeah. that would be another big one in a few years time. So Yeah, as that data set grows, we're now in the position where we have got such an amazing data set across all our customers. Mm. Um, And of course, the ability to find data around machine learning just gives us a really good idea of what's safe and what's not.
0: No, that's that's a a sensible way of doing monitoring in that respect, especially because for people who don't necessarily know how this works, sometimes addresses can be flagged as relevant to, I don't know, terrorism financing or or a scam so if there's an ability to monitor that before you send money to that address then you are in a much better position than you yeah, otherwise or- have been um, the second one i i sort of looked at was uh, it says disaster recovery the website um CoinCover's website says and um, that customers are able to take advantage of our uniquely non-custodial approach to backup and recovery of private keys and to secure access to digital assets can you tell me about that
1: yeah sure so just linking back to these poor people that you know, lose access and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, find that understandably very stressful. And I think, you know, particularly for, you know, lots of people that have seen, I suppose, that that wave of, you know, the various exchanges that have, have come and gone, which obviously isn't great. And I think, you know, as since time immemorial, there's been bad actors, right? So I think the great thing about the disaster recovery is about not losing access. Okay. So we, we help people not lose access to their crypto. And we're not doing that on a custodial basis. We're not saying, we'll look after it for you. Um, we hold part of that key so you can get it running need to. right
0: because that's where the the real risk when i speak to custodial services are is is actually holding on to the assets themselves what does that look like what do the
1: insurance yeah,
0: take out yeah like a headache
1: and also like you know that old old phrase not your keys not your crypto which yeah. you know there's there's such an exquisite balance isn't there between you know i i don't write code i'm not a cto <laughs> um you know i would find it personally quite frightening to be fully responsible for my crypto with no level of, of backup. So I suppose that the, the great sort of balance there is that, you know, we can never get your crypto, we can't access it, we don't look after it for you. But should you lose access, we can get it
2: back up for you.
0: Okay. Um, and the last point I think is um, about customer protection. Again, from your website, it says um, that there is a proactive and customer-centered approach to keeping your retail users' crypto safe. Can you tell me a little bit about that? What does that mean?
1: Yeah, sure. So we help lots of businesses, which is great. A lot of the sort of asset managers and hedge funds. We also help businesses that have customers, so particularly the exchanges. Hmm. So I think, again, go back to not your keys, not your crypto, yep. all these exchanges that have had problems, whether, you know, the exchanges cease to exist or whether there's been a bad actor that has essentially had their hand in the till, which obviously isn't great. Yeah. You know, to be able to say to these businesses, this is a protection you can pass on to your customers is is really popular.
0: Right. I mean, it- when I was preparing this, I was thinking about the world that I live in, which is about digital asset recovery, what that looks like, obtaining tracing reports, using the courts to freeze and return return funds. What does your recovery model look like? Are you seeing any particular patterns? Is that, is that something that I can even ask? Is that is that a written yeah, sure. question? So
1: look, the, the recovery is not a market that we focus on. Our market really is the technology to make sure that that doesn't happen in the first place. And I think just going back to the power of the data and the power of the blockchain, You know, I obviously got the train here today. If someone had stolen, Godford, a £5 note from my my wallet, that's really difficult to track and trace. Mm -hmm. If someone steals £5 worth of Bitcoin from Mm -hmm. my wallet, we can see where that's gone, right? So I think, you know, there's been bad actors since time immemorial. Um, I can't see, you know, illicit activity stopping anytime soon. So I imagine that will keep you in a job uh, for for a while to come. And I think the ability... Yeah, it's good, yeah. So I think the ability to... To track and trace with blockchain is really interesting. It you know means that you can go and get those funds back on behalf of your clients. But from our perspective, the data to see what's happening, um, that data set is ever growing right. And I think that yeah. ultimately, if you can harness the right technology, protects your customers, which is good for the ecosystem.
0: Well, you're in the pre- you're in the preventative stage. I'm in the exactly. bit that happens afterwards. Yeah. Sure. Hopefully, if we're doing our jobs, everybody will be nice and safe. But it doesn't work quite like that. Yeah,
1: sure. And I think, you know, there is a sense that, you know, that some of the criticism of crypto is that it has been used to fund illicit activity. And I I kind of roll my eyes a little bit when I hear that for two reasons. Firstly, because, you know, physical cash has had uh, a head start of a couple of millennia. Mm -hmm. But also that there's loads of ways that crypto addresses that problem, right? If we use the right technology and we have the right regulation. So I think, you know, blaming crypto for being used for illicit activity misses a broader point. Yeah. Really. I
0: mean, can we can we see where our £10 notes have been?
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh,
0: we have absolutely no idea. And I, I, just to that point, I, and I've even heard judges say this when in court, that uh, um, crypto assets are not traceable. Just, just to clarify that exact point, it is incredibly traceable. We just don't necessarily know until it reaches a centralised entity in certain circumstances exactly. who is behind those transactions. Sure. It's just a, a point worth making while we're talking about Yeah, definitely. Um, I was having a look at Coincover's LinkedIn page so LinkedIn and websites are really the source for me. Very good. Um especially about your your um about page. Coincover guarantees um that digital assets will not be lost or stolen. What does that mean and how can you how can you make a promise like that?
1: Yeah, sure. So look, um we are really proud of the track record that we have, which is mm-hmm. fantastic. We're as you can tell very proud of the data that we've got. Mm-hmm. So, as I've described, the combination of the technology we've got and the Lloyds of London underwriting that we've been able to to secure, which is fantastic, mm-hmm. means that should our technology fail, we have the ability to put it right. And I think, you know, to have that level of protection for our clients has been really positive in the current environment.
0: So it's a win-win, essentially, if your 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 tech is working brilliantly and if on the complete off chance that it isn't, the customer is protected in any event.
1: Yeah, look, and I, th- I think that, you know, there will be at some point... You know, someone who going back to your great aunt Maureen, who wasn't a hacker and now is. Yeah, that's not a situation we're going to be able to prevent. So, you know, the the backup that we've got for our clients is that we have the ability to call on that insurance and put it up
0: Okay. Um, what I'd like to know really is, is as well is is what it, what is it that you're doing differently to others? I mean, I'm not going to name names, but I, I I see monitoring services happen a lot. And people sell these monitoring services. What they do exactly, I'm not entirely sure. That's why I do these podcasts to figure out what people do. But they do these monitoring services and prevention alerts. What is it that you guys are doing differently? Where's the value add? And how come you guys have been called? And I was trying to find the quote for this. The best kept secret in crypto. I'm sure you'll tell me exactly who said that or where that appeared. Do you
1: know, I hear it all the time, but I don't know who came up. If you came up with that originally, let me know and we'll um, we'll have to.
0: I was Googling it to see if
1: it was. Oh, were Okay. Fun,
0: but I couldn't yeah,
1: find. Yeah, it does get said to me quite a lot, actually. Um, so I think it probably reflects that. We support some phenomenal names. You know, I'm so proud of our relationships with Fireblocks and Copper um, and, you know, really sort of household crypto names. Like our our client list, when I was first talking about coming to work for business last year, yeah. are, were like a who's who of crypto. It's phenomenal. But I think that because we're kind of in the background and, you know, it's part of sort of risk management and some compliance, it's probably not something that people sort of lead with. If mm-hmm. you know. So I think you know we're sort of quietly providing some really interesting infrastructure
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and i think it's through you know mediums like this and lots of sort of the trade shows and panel discussions to get on that, that kind of um, message and actually it was funny i spoke um quite recently the last couple of months um with a really famous um there's a there's a co- it's a business and, and a coin as as lots of crypto firms are
2: yeah.
1: and we were sitting in the green room sort of waiting to go on on stage and, he's, and we were sort of talking about what, what the day job was and you know, this is a really famous coin. This is like a top five coin. I think it was top five at the time. and had a really good couple of weeks. Hmm. I happen to own some of this this coin as well. And I said, <laughs> "This isn't um, you
0: plugging it, of course." No, no, no.
1: Know. I'm not going to say it, actually, it's obvious. <laughs> um, and I said, "Oh, and actually, we protect you." And he yeah. said, oh, I'm I'm sorry, I didn't realize. I said, "No, no, you're welcome." So actually, sometimes even the yeah. you know quite big businesses that have got a couple hundred people won't know that we're we're in that workflow actually. So yeah, I think uh, the message is getting out there. Um, my, my personal view for the crypto ecosystem is that, as I said, I would, I would love us to protect every single firm that mm-hmm. has crypto assets. And I think you look at what's happened in sort of the broader financial infrastructure in TradFi, whether it's, you know, Swift or whether it's, you know, the protection you get on payments or whether it's, you know, if you went into a shop, we're sitting in London recording today. I can't imagine going to shop that won't take touchless payments, right? Whereas, you know, if you're really old like me, you remember when you used to put your credit card in the crunchy machine. I must find out it made a really lovely crunchy sound. You know what I mean, yeah. And then oh, touchless chip and pin was amazing when it came in. And then we had touchless and it was only a tenner and you know, it's got up and now it's a hundred pounds. And I think for me, crypto is just the next evolution of payments. And we were talking about cash before we started recording. Mm. You know, I have some physical cash for the sort of council parking machines near where I live and the kids pocket money. Apart from that, you know, you basically you can live with an Apple Pay and that's it, right?
0: I can't f I, I was looking for it the other day. I can't find my wallet, I'd use Apple Pay for it. You should look for it. I mean I should look yeah. <laughs> you yeah. should
1: cancel your cards or something.
0: Um <laughs> somewhere in my house, I think.
1: Yeah. And I think exactly. you, yeah, it's the next evolution for me. And I think, you know, for us to be part of that infrastructure is is really exciting.
0: I'd like to move on a little bit because you and I have been speaking for a little while about a specific case, and I'm gonna sort of tilt my head down to read properly from my sheet to make sure I get this all right. But there is a case, there's some proceedings in the U.S. relating to Coinbase. Uh, the case is called uh, Ferguson and Coinbase uh, 23-CV-01004, for anybody who wants to look it up. Uh, it's in uh, the district court um, in uh, the Northern District of California. And just to give some background as to what this case is is actually about. Um, so an individual lost, um, I think, around $96,000 um, on the Coinbase uh, website or app following a scam relating to a SIM card. Um, upon accessing um, his phone, almost all of his life savings had been drained from his Coinbase account, and with the withdrawal was made via an IP address that was never associated with his account. The claimant says Coinbase have liability in that it was their responsibility for allowing the withdrawals that were made at the Coinbase um which was in breach of Coinbase's security procedures and that they failed to monitor it. And he wants to, quote, obviously hold them to account. So, and I'm just reading from the sheet again to make sure that I get it all right. Coinbase responded stating that the claimant was responsible for his own security. So clearly there are some issues around whether Coinbase uh, could have done more and their own liability. And you reached out to me to see if there was a way to contribute to some expert evidence um, in that case. So, what are the main issues here from the perspective of of Coin Cover, and what value could you add here? Like, what is it that Coinbase is saying can't be done? Um, what evidence could you provide? Like, what could you say?
1: Yeah, sure. And firstly, you look, you know how awful for the the client in question to have mm-hmm. lost what well, I understand is his his life savings. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, you know, I'm very appreciative of, of how stressful that can be. Anyone that's been lost a fiver or anything else, you know, it, it's really truly. You know, upsetting. So I think it's a really interesting point of inflection for the crypto industry as a whole, right? So there will be some terms and conditions. I, I personally do have a Coinbase account which says, you know, you must keep yourself safe. Then these are certain things that you need to do. So I think it's very interesting. I think our argument would be that there are technologies out there that reduce risk and keep your money mm-hmm. safe. And if those technologies are viable from a cost perspective, they should be implemented. And I think from a regulatory perspective, um, you know, all that regulation that's coming in globally, which says, you know, those clients need to be kept safe and that, you know, robust processes and policies need to be in there. So I think from our perspective, we can put our hand up and say, actually, it's highly likely that we would have caught that particular transaction. And of course, if we hadn't, we'd have the ability to put it right. So I think, you know, I would expect to see a number of cases in the coming months and years that follow this pattern. I'm just going to um, very quickly divert something that happened to me a couple of couple of weeks, maybe a month ago. So um, I tried to put an enormous bet on a sporting event. It was a fiver. And I was at home. It was the weekend. And I never bet. It was just a particular event that I was interested in. And um, I thought, I'll go online. <clears throat> I'll use one of the really big, heavily advertised gambling Mm site and um my current account which is with a high street bank account Mm -hmm. i got my credit card out and and tried to use it i think it was my debit card because i don't think you can put bets on credit cards now. i don't think anyway. it was my debit card and i was online and trying to feed the kids and run around at the weekend and it failed and i thought oh maybe the website's busy so i tried again failed again i'm like you know it's a fiver i'm busy don't worry about it and what happened was my high street bank froze all of my bank accounts because my five quid bet was an unusual transaction, because I don't bet, right? So they were looking at my account thinking, it's unusual activity. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: It took me 45 minutes on a phone call to re-establish all my internet banking and my credit cards and my, you know, debit card, because they'd seen something and, you know, pressed this big red button in some call setting that said that's probably, you know, not, not correct. So those policies and processes exist in Chad Fry they exist in an even more interesting technological form in crypto, we should use them. Mm. So I think, you know, with the regulation that's coming in and some of these legal cases that are being tried, and of course, it's very interesting, it's in the US, yep. where of course, the, you know, they have a litigious culture anyway. Certainly do. Um, and there is a sense that their regulation is via enforcement. And of course, Coinbase is one of the bigger players. So I'm really interested to see how that case plays out.
0: Is it a matter then, and let's ignore the legal points for now, but factually you're saying that actually, potentially, Coinbase could have monitored those transactions. And on the basis that funds were sent to an address from this SIM card that he never dealt with before, and because it was quite clearly suspicious, considering the history of transactions, that actually there may well be um, an ability for Coin cover or whoever it may be to say, this is a service that is possible. Yeah, correct. It's available. Whether you buy it or not is different. And whether there is any legal liability is a different question. But at least this exists and maybe they should have done more to protect this guy.
1: Yeah, sure. Look, all I've got is what I've been able to glean from what's readily available. But hmm. on the basis of what I have seen, hmm. it that to me looks like a very unusual transaction yeah. from the information that I've got. And the technology is there to pick it up. And in our case, for any reason it was missed, could have put it right. And Sorry. I think that is a, a fairly damning statement for you know what is a, a really large exchange and what is clearly a very upset customer.
0: Right? Well, it's upset enough to start a claim. And to be honest, fair enough.
1: Sure. And also, look, the reputational damage rights. So we talk about these exchanges that mm-hmm. try and self-insure because they think, oh, yeah, a certain number of our cases were wrong. We don't be yeah. playing this off online. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's likely that there's technology, which is competitively priced, which is just going to help you from a reputational point of view and a risk management point of view. And I think, you know, if the technology is competitively priced, why not use it? right?
0: Yeah. And maybe that's a commercial issue for some of the major players in the industry to say, actually, are we... It's a sales point, right, to say, actually, if you store your your crypto assets with us, then we have these live monitoring services, whether they're provided by a third party or done internally, fine. But it would mean that people have confidence to deal um, with those assets at that specific custodian or, or exchange. And I guess if anybody is listening from that that firm, Miller Shah, um, and wants to get in contact, probably a good chance to, to do so because it may well help their case. Yeah, please do. Um, Let's turn to the Treasury's call for evidence um, in response to its uh, future financial services regulatory regime for crypto assets, um, which you responded to. Um, I don't know if it was you personally, maybe maybe you, did you prepare it or was it?
1: So it was signed by our CEO, which is great. Um, but I was part of the working group, which which worked through what was quite a long business, um to work out how we could contribute.
0: So what is it that the Treasury is asking?
1: Sure. So I think um, the in the UK, we have been really privileged that they have come to the industry to ask for our input so there's some phenomenal work being done HMT obviously put out um, their request for response which of course we were part of Mm -hmm. Um, there's some great work being done by Crypto UK there's a Mm -hmm. you know some really um, phenomenally competent and busy working groups at Crypto UK which which face off to the FCH and HMT so I think you know to ask the people that really understand this technology and it's new technology you know comparatively to you know some of what's being used in you know retail financial services Mm -hmm. or capital markets Mm -hmm. the crypto and the the DLT is quite new right so to come to the industry and specifically the tech providers that are writing this software I think is is a really good start right and I think you know if you particularly look at regulation everywhere but you know particularly in the UK there's been a number of technical advancements which the regulator has had to get its head around so whether that's you know CFDs or its peer-to-peer. I mean, this is going back in the day, right? But it's not the first time that new technology has come in that the regulators had to...
0: Always playing catch-up, aren't they?
1: Yeah, look, I think it's really tough, right? I think a lot of money was lost in crypto globally before regulation came in and addressed it, you know, and to have a market cap of trillions, which is essentially unregulated, is unsurprisingly open to
0: abuse. I completely understand it. And I understand that you, you published a response that consultation in a few sentences and we'll get into some of the details um, in a minute but in a few sentences what was your response
1: yeah sure so i think we are very focused on pointing out why crypto is different to fiat and i think particularly um with some of the issues that we've seen with for example ftx and the systemic problem that caused like Mm. the ruction that caused for the industry as a whole and the effect it had on the prices, you know, it's mm-hmm. you know, it's set us back six nine months probably in terms of you know where hopefully we would have been. You know, I think we really want to make sure the ecosystem is as safe um, as it can be. And I think you know the two things we specifically talked about was um, with self custody, if that provider goes offline, mm-hmm. you don't want to have no access. it has got to be an ability to get get up and running. Um, and I think you know with the exchanges again, going back to all this year, you know, not your keys, not your crypto sort mm-hmm. of concerns. Again, if something happens to that exchange, maybe the technology fails or maybe, you know, someone tries to hack it or someone runs off with it. You know, this these are problems that are very specific to crypto and we're keen to yeah. be help be part of that fix.
0: Or I guess if the business goes under and all of a sudden then you've lost the access to, to your asset. So in terms of looking at both of those issues with self-custody for individuals and exchanges, those are some of the problems that you've highlighted. What are some of the recommendations that you make?
1: Yeah, sure. So we feel very strongly that backing up that key material should be a regulatory requirement. You know, I'm personally talking to regulators in a number of jurisdictions. And look, if the various tech providers in the ecosystem that can help create safety, security, and trust don't put their hand up and say, we're here, this is how it works, love to see it as part of the rule book, you know, that's on us really. And look, I think, you know, these regulators, to their credit, particularly, you know, in in the UK with, with HMT and the FCA, they're accessible right so it's on us as an industry if we don't raise our hand and start those conversations and i think if you look at most say household house if you're in crypto household yeah. names of crypto um most of those big exchanges yeah. and big tech providers have now got a some sort of regulatory lobbying policy team or you know senior hire because you know it's it's a critical part of their strategy
0: I get it, and there there has to be some lobbying done by people in the industry because they're at the front line, the coalface face of what's going on, and they they sort of have to negotiate with lobbying body, um, sorry, with with regulators as as well as lobbying bodies to to, to try and find a, a smooth path for everybody. I mean, it was the other day; it was the treasure. Oh, I think it was the Parliament Treasury Committee came out and said that crypto should be treated as the same as gambling, and all the industry yeah. went, "What on earth is that?" So I think there's an element of having. Um, sort of the people in power listen to those at the forefront of the industry and the commercials, um, well, the, the the people who are, uh, I, I guess, running the businesses so that they can understand each other. Because that yeah, sure. that seems absurd to me. And
1: what really made me laugh is if you've been in crypto forever like I have, um, there was a point at which if you made money mm-hmm. on, if, sorry, if you're UK-based, you made money on crypto, it was essentially considered gambling so you didn't have to declare any tax. Then crypto did really well and we had these massive gains. and all all of a short, sudden It then- was like... Oh, hang on a minute! Yeah, and rightly, there's some very fine tax minds that have helped create tax um, legislation in, in the UK. I've done quite a lot of speaking with BDO, who've been quite sort of instrumental in that. Mm. So I think for sort of different arms of government to be saying different things, it is interesting. And I think I get involved in some quite high level, sort of broader fintech conversations, right? Because there's a balance between allowing innovative fintech businesses to increase efficiency and Mm -hmm. give more choice to consumers and make things more efficient and yeah, for a hundred good reasons. And Mm -hmm. you know, the UK is supposed to be the home of FinTech. And look, you look at bodies like Innovate Finance, which are doing a phenomenal job there. You know, the the story of we are the home of FinTech is the UK and the coalface reality, which is, you know, dealing with government organizations Mm -hmm. and regulators is often a little bit different. And I think, you know, there are some there's some really good work being done by trade bodies like Innovate Finance or Crypto UK to try and keep that dialogue going. But look, different Different messages coming out of different government departments is something I've seen repeatedly over my entire career in FinTech.
0: I noticed the word you said earlier. You said when different departments are saying different things is interesting, what I think I would translate that to in my head is unhelpful. Hugely yep. frustrating. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, hugely fair frustrating. Fair enough. Um
1: but yeah, I just thought the word gambling was so interesting because
0: it was so unhelpful to my
1: mind. Yeah, sure. And look, I think it sets back a lot of good work that's been done recently on, mm. you know, um, that, you know, HMT consultation and you know, sort of what's happening out of the FCA. I think it's quite inflammatory and I think it ignores a broader process where we are trying to regulate to keep, you know, retail investors and institutional investors alike safe. Um, I think, you know, words like that are are deeply unhelpful, and I think, set back that dialogue. And I've spoken a lot in the press about regulation. and I think about 18 months ago, the the phrase that I trotted out about once a week was that the dialogue between regulators and crypto firms was marked by mutual mistrust and sometimes loathing was the phrase that i quite often use so i think we're probably in a better place now but yeah yep. you know things like that Head- and it's such an attention grabbing headline right gambling
0: gambling crypto yeah. crime or it's just it, it's really unhealthy.
1: yeah and look you kind of then think well you know if it's considered gambling then why does basically every bank asset manager and hedge fund have either a crypto team or a blockchain team or they're dabbling it or yeah blackrock is pretty positive about crypto and you know
0: this is Standing a about podcast, it.
1: So You're like, oh, the word gambling. Oh, yeah, no. I'm not sure if that's accurate. I don't think it's... it is it, is it fair? Well, I'm going to say no because I'm part of the ecosystem. But is it accurate when, say, so, treat it as an asset, albeit a high, high risk and volatile asset? Is it gambling? You know, when you've got a trillion dollar market cap. So it's a very interesting sort of um, stance.
0: Yeah, my feeling is that because these assets are unregulated... Um, therefore, in their view, might just be... Well, it's just gambling then. Just put it in that massive pile of all things that are gambling. But I've realized that we've massively strayed off topic in that. But I'm, I'm going to... No, no, no. It's absolutely my fault. Um, no, 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 no. No problem at all. When you're dealing with Crypto UK, which you're saying you're doing a lot, what are the things that are on the agenda from your end? What is it that you're specifically trying to push? There may be lots of things, but maybe just a couple.
1: Yeah, sure. So <clears throat> I've got a reasonably long relationship with with Crypto UK. Um, at CoinCover, we are proud members um, I sit on a number of very busy and very competent working groups, so um, obviously there was a, a very long response um, to HMT, which was mm-hmm. phenomenal. It's available online if you are of the the mindset that you would like to read it. It was, you know, really contributed to by some of the finest minds in the crypto ecosystem. Um, so it, well worth reading. That's it's, it's fairly long, but it's it's interesting. Hmm. And there's lots of points that are either were asked for clarification or, or recommendations were made. So that's kind of uh, is in now. Um, there's a financial crime working group and an insurance working group. And I think what um, you know, Ian, Ian does really well. The head there is really flying the flag for those firms that are keen to do the right thing.
0: Should we say his name? Should we get a full full, a full yeah name?
1: sure. So uh, yeah, Ian, if you're listening, Ian Taylor doing a good job and of course you know, holds two hats right so he heads up at uk yeah. and also digital assets at kpmg so again i see him at lots of uh sort of trade shows and panel shows um flying that flag um and i think perhaps you know in recent years crypto um has been the bogeyman to yeah. tradfi and of course we're at a very interesting point now where tradfi and defi are meeting and melting right and you know if you look at the foundations of crypto we're very much you know oh, well, it's decentralized and, you know, we're outside regulation and, you know, there will be no banks next year. And that is like, you know, crypto on steroids which is great. There's, you know, Mm. there's there's lots of people that feel that way about crypto. Um, Personally, because I come from a TradFi and fintech background, I'm a lot more interested in the best parts of DeFi. And
0: Why can't we carry all the best bits over and figure it out?
1: Um, And I think the more that's done to spread the good work that's been done and the more that's done to melt those two worlds, the better, I think.
0: I think I I, I want to move on to talking about the digital pound. Uh, The Bank of England is currently considering a central bank digital currency. Um, They have a dedicated website. On that website, they say the digital pound would not be a cryptocurrency or crypto asset. As opposed to cryptocurrencies which are issued privately, the digital pound would be issued by the Bank of England and be backed by the government. Uh, They've published a consultation paper. They've got a frequently asked questions section. Do you have any thoughts on any of this? And and what might the benefit of uh, CBDCs be?
1: Yeah, sure. So, look, I think it's really interesting. We've talked about the, the evolution of money. And I certainly see central bank digital currencies as part of that. And to be clear, the vast majority of the world's banks, sorry, the vast majority of the world's central banks are looking at digitizing their currency. So the days are gone where if, you know, I owe you a fiver, we go out the back and hive off a bit of gold and, you know, then we swap it. Like, you know, we we started swapping sheep and then we swapped gold and then we decided that that coin with that emperor's head and it was worth, you know, a certain amount because we could swap Mm -hmm. it for goods or services. So for me, CBDC is the next iteration of that. Um, the whole point of crypto is it's cheaper, it's more efficient. Allegedly, it's fair. I know we're going to have a, a little discussion about that that uh, philosophical topic shortly. So CBDCs, to me, are a very interesting point in the story of adoption because right now to use crypto, you have to really like it, love it and understand it. Mm-hmm. The point at which people use crypto without even knowing they're using it, that is the point of adoption, right? So we talked about, you know, I took the train here today. You know, it cost me forty-one quid to get a travel card because I can't live out on the sticks, and it cost me a tenner to park. Yeah. I didn't do that with cash; I didn't drink of it. It just got done on a credit card, right? So, I don't think, oh, I'm paying for this electronically. Oh, I'm paying for this online. You know, you just get your card out and it goes plinking at the end of the month. You know, you're, you're told it's all to just
0: easy, right? It's yeah,
1: exactly. It's it figured out. And I think the CBDC is a story about how we can use that technology to be easier, but you wouldn't necessarily know you were using it. So, the the, the example I always give is. Would your grandma be able to use it and not know she's using crypto, right? So I think, you know, there's lots of CBDC projects all over the world. There's, of course, a number of countries that to be slightly smaller yeah. um, that are actively using it. There's a number of bigger jurisdictions that have it sort of on a trial basis. But I personally can't see that trend being reversed. And I think it's a little bit of a misnomer, right? Because the whenever I see CBDC in the mainstream press, they love the phrase Britcoin, Because it's kind of like suggesting that like, well, there will be no pound we're using Bitcoin, which obviously, of course, is not the case. It's just about using that technology to harness it for our lovely British pound. And I think, unfortunately, it does tend to get a little bit murky with some of the stable coins. And obviously, there's lots of chat from regulators about whether they pose a systemic risk. And that's when a business says, oh, we'll we'll, we'll have a a coin that may or may not be pegged to, let's say, the dollar. Mm -hmm. Those can provide systemic risk
0: right? So I think... Well, that's what Mika was all about. I think we're trying to protect against stablecoins, <laughs> yeah. exactly were by government.
1: And I think the CBDC is the best version of that. But unfortunately, it does get slightly sullied by some of those stable coin conversations. And also, look some ideas of like nationalistic pride. You know, I can't. Uh, my my kids love it when I give them a couple of you know quid in pocket money for yeah. the law or you know doing doing some errands. I'm not what you're saying. When I've wired you some CBDC is going to quite have the same effect.
0: And you can component. check it on your Yeah, your exactly. Yeah, yeah.
1: No, a 5-year-old is going to be quite as quite as delighted about going to the corner shop to buy sweets with their uh, with their crypto.
0: So would you say then that the benefits um of CBDCs are that they are just more efficient and that they are more traceable?
1: Yeah, exactly. Look, and I think it's been a very interesting journey over COVID. I know it feels like forever ago now, but yeah. I was writing at the beginning of COVID that I felt that COVID would kill cash because it's like seen as like physically dirty, you can yeah, yeah, carry it yeah. and every, everything else. I don't you're so, wrong
0: there. I use cash a lot less, but maybe. Yeah,
1: it's true. true. Yeah, yeah. And look, you know, I don't know about you. The first time I saw a little, you know, sandwich shop that said we don't accept cash, I was like, it's yeah. a bit weird. But like, you know, then actually know because then you have to go bank it and it's hanging around, and you might get selling and everything else. So, yeah, the argument for CBDC is quicker, more efficient from possibly probably fairer and more democratic but look it can reduce fraud so for example a good use case would be you know benefits fraud or all the fraud that we had over all the bounce back loans and hmm. you know will we ever get them back and you know a lot of them were you know were essentially fraudulent. a lot of sort of coverage of that in the press so to be able to make our currency essentially purely digital is really interesting but equally then there's some other effects that might not be as positive
0: yeah i think there are two things here i mean we could sit and talk about this for a while um so i i've I've got to be careful about asking too many interesting uh, questions because they are great um to to hear your your thoughts on it why is the system that we're currently using digitalized money in in the form of, of tapping back what why is that less good
1: yeah sure so the cbdc is about making digital our currency as a nation, right? And that is one step in advance. So mm. whether or not we could essentially retire physical cash, you know, we don't, we're not based on gold anymore. No one's going to the back, you know, workshop and hiving off some gold for you anymore. So I think it's a very interesting question. You know, there's that exquisite argument in crypto. You know, if you're a libertarian, do you trust the government to do the right thing all the time, right? So um, that taking to the extreme would be, um, you know, we've decided that we won't pay you, um your government pension or, you know, your benefits you're entitled to because yes. perhaps you're a certain religion or perhaps you voted a way that the government doesn't want you to, or, you know, you're from an ethnic minority that isn't, you know, flavor of the month. Like Those are not acceptable outcomes, right? Mm. But could the control of currency be used in the wrong way? And I think, you know, perhaps there are countries that we would be more concerned about that in.
0: Yeah. That's, that, that's my feeling when I, I I sort of put this question and the next question, which you've, you've, you've nicely sort of anticipated before is, is about those libertarians among us. There's a, a a guy, um, Andrew Howard, who I interviewed um, on this podcast a little while ago, I think of him because he is one of these, these, these guys who's, and he may correct me if I'm wrong, if he's listening, who is suspicious of the link between government and money. And if we think about certain regimes in the world who would want to have a control over money based on uh, maybe even credit score or social score, if you're thinking of a Black Mirror scenario with with social scores, it may well be that it's not implemented now. But if the infrastructure is put in, maybe a particular regime will capitalize on that in 20 years, 50, whatever it may be. My feeling is that um, the tech... Uh, I don't know, I'm just suspicious of it to some extent, because it it, it 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 seems as if programmable money in that respect may create more issues than the benefits in which it has. And we're talking about efficiency, et cetera. But is our system in terms of government-backed money inefficient already? I don't know. Yeah, sure.
1: Awesome so I think out. in the UK, look, let's be very quick to check our privilege. Um, I don't want to get into a chat about how great we think our current government is, but I think you know, overall, we enjoy some freedoms and protection as British citizens that we can agree mm-hmm. that some some regimes don't extend to their citizens. So I think it's very easy to sit from a position of privilege and say, oh, reduces fraud. You know, well, yeah, you know, if a drug dealer physically can't fund a drug deal in cash, well, actually, programmable money is amazing. You know, there'll be no, you know, you won't be able to, you know, defraud for that and you won't be able to deal drugs. And, mm-hmm. you know, we could, you know, people like you trying to track down, you know, assets will be much easier. But the flip side is someone that might abuse that. And I think, you know, you look at something like, for example, social media, you know, social media was created, Facebook was created to, you know, connect people on a social basis. Mm. Fast forward to today, there's lots of questions about whether it's ethical they have that much data, what do they do with it? Can be it be used to swing elections? Exactly. Like, you know, teenagers committing suicide because of the pressures of social media. Like, that's not what the technology was created for. The technology was, we hope, created with the best of intentions but equally controlling what that technology is useful there. Black Mirror is a great example. If you haven't watched it, it's a series of programs about what happens when technology goes wrong. And it, it's really interesting, right? Because it picks up on themes that we are seeing today. right? Yeah,
0: and it was doing it a while ago. Yes. There's an episode called, I think it's Nosedive, where it's all about social credits and you have to yes. build your social yeah, yeah to get points. And if you don't have enough social credits, then you can't access certain things. And I think that there are people um, in society who are suspicious of CBDCs on the basis that something like that would happen if your credit score isn't a certain amount then you can't access certain things or even the other way around that funds will be automatically taken by uh, government um, sure. before you can even say no to it.
1: I, I think that for me personally comes full circle to regulation I'm not going to sit here and debate whether Facebook and Twitter should be, be be regulated but I think for me the fix for that is regulation and yeah. I think you know technologies exist whether they're harnessed figured, good or bad is a question for regulation I think.
0: It's regulation. I, I agree with you. It's regulation. And I think people, certainly on the libertarian side, would feel more comfortable if it wasn't government backed. I think that's the bit that they're allergic to.
1: Yeah, sure.
0: Fully decentralized. And we can get into a debate as to what fully decentralized is, even if it exists. But that's my sense of it. Um, I want to move on a little bit because you were featured in um, an article in Forbes recently called Is This the Real Reason Behind Crypto's $200 billion um Bitcoin, Ethereum, BNB, XRP, Cardano, Dogecoin, Polygon and Solana price boom. It's a bit of a title that Um, uh, Talking about the market and saying that despite issues with exchanges collapsing and the introduction of regulatory frameworks, the value of crypto assets has broadly risen in recent months. Why do you think that is and what was the article about broadly?
1: Yeah, sure. So I'm quite often asked by a variety of press outlets from my opinion. So of course, I'm not a trader. um, Of course, I don't give financial advice um but i i think the point i was trying to make was that we've actually had quite a good year so we're recording this in the summer of 2023 um we've had a great year right so bitcoin particularly ethereum
0: ripple um,
1: Litecoin is looking quite good right now. So there's a number of coins, and I mean credible coins. When I talk about crypto, I'm meaning like the top 20. So You're still... about
0: Pepe that's that's increased by having many thousands me. Yeah,
1: so I think that, you know, I, there are there are meme coins. And I've always been very negative about meme coins, right? Because, yeah, if you look at Dogecoin, for example, you know, Dogecoin getting to the same um, market cap as Barclays is just, Barclays Bank in the UK is, is just mind-boggling. So... I'm very interested in credible crypto so by that i mean essentially the top 20. so look we don't need 20,000 plus cryptos right we are long due a big consolidation and people are gonna really lose a lot of money which uh, is very sad so we're sitting here in summer 2023 Um it's been a really strong year so you look at what has been achieved this year from bitcoin ethereum ripple litecoins looking quite good i focus on credible crypto so that top 20 we don't need 20,000. Plus coins, you know, a lot of those are going to... Cons- Pepe
0: frog, the the increase.
1: Yeah, not good. So look, you look at that point at which, you know, Dogecoin was worth more than Barclays. It's just just mind boggling. So for me personally, you look at all the bad news that has come in the relatively recent past, you know, okay. FTX, Terra Luna, Celsius, you know, Sandbank Bankman free in the press morning, noon, night. It, it hasn't been great. So this year, I think, has been more positive. Um, of, of course, in, in prices, you know, when you get bad news, you get fear, uncertainty and doubt. And I yep. think... In recent months, we've just seen the regulators getting themselves together. And I think really just that industry maturing, I think there's a real sense that FTX put us back probably six to nine months, I think. Mm-hmm. And I think we're now just over that hump. And I think that the the ecosystem is very nicely gaining credibility and gaining traction. And I hope to see that continue.
0: Maturity, I think, is the right word there. You're sort of, we're sort of clearing out maybe, to use maybe an ugly phrase, but the sort of adolescent period or the people thinking like that clearing a lot of that out actually there's a level of maturity in the market which is being seen by increased regulation and a fear of i guess um, the way that certain players are dealing with assets maybe they'll be cleared out as well and we'll get a consolidated version of
1: yeah and look i i see that across the board right so i will use some slightly stronger language which is the regulation will drain the swamp
0: okay yeah yeah
2: so
1: very shortly it's going to become yeah, there was a point at which anyone could do an ICO. There's a great um, thing online with Erica Stanford, who, of course, is very, very famous for writing about crypto scams, where she manages to set up you know, in a, in a matter of, of minutes, right, which is, isn't great. So I think we are now past that birthplace of crypto where it was a free-for-all. Yep. We're now a lot more stable and focused. And those bad actors need to leave, right? And with regulation able to create enforcement, hopefully draining the swamp um, is good for the industry as a whole.
0: I completely um, sympathize with that and, and agree. It's about maturity. I think sort of coming to the end of this, um, and as you say, it's been recorded um, summer 2023, um, there has been um, a recent partnership announcement with Ledger, who are um, a provider of, uh, let's say, hard or, or, yeah, let's just say hard, hard wallet storage, like USB sticks. Um and there's been stories about this partnership. Can you tell me about what the partnership looks like and why it has made news?
1: Yeah, sure. So we are super excited to launch. We haven't formally launched yet, but as with uh, crypto social media, there's quite a lot of chat. Um, and look, I think, you know, it, it's a relationship we are hugely proud of. It is arguably, you know, one of the leading brands in crypto.
0: I have one, by the oh, way. Okay, okay. I, I have a legend. I, I was in Columbia recently on a holiday and I was talking to someone and they were looking for some storage and I recommended Allegis like just now.
1: Oh, very good. You know, get yourself an affiliate agreement if yeah. you get, get in touch. <laughs> yeah. um, so you know, I think it as you say, it's arguably the the market leader. They've sold millions um of devices. Um uh, of course um their Stacks device, which is a lot of being pre-sold and it is coming soon. So for us, I think there has been some sense of people that are very, very happy to keep their own crypto, which is which is fantastic. But this is not about the people that use crypto today. The hardcore crypto native been doing it for a couple of years, mm-hmm. happy to have, you know, their own crypto under their own control. That's great. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, the CEO of Ledger is on record as saying this is about the next 100 million users. And I think it's about all those people today that have heard of crypto. You know, like five years ago when I started working it, no one had heard of crypto. No one knew what Bitcoin mm-hmm. was. You walk up and down the road today, you know, nine out of ten people I would would um imagine have heard of it. So it's about that next wave of adoption. Um, and that to me is really exciting times, uh, both for us as a business and for as an
0: industry, more broadly, how are you working together then? Like, what's what's the service that you're providing?
1: Sure. So, um, we there's a service called Ledger Recover, which enables you to, um, recover your seed phrase, um, and that's called Ledger Recover, provided by Coincover. So, really pleased to be working with them.
0: No, it seems like a very sensible thing. I know that there's some hardcore, um, crypto people who have said that this is a negative thing. I sort of understand that a little bit. Um, But again, it's not really for them, is it? This is for people who don't really have a a day-to-day interaction with crypto. Maybe want to try it out and following that, know that there is a safety net.
1: Sure. And it's totally optional. You know, there is absolutely no obligation or requirement for Ledger's current user base to use the service. Um, It's there. And I think, you know, there's lots of talk online from both the CTO and CEO of Ledger saying that they've been repeatedly asked for this service. And again, it's not about necessarily their client bank today. It's about that next hundred million users, which you know is is a game changer. So I think if anyone listening to this <clears throat> owns a bit of crypto, you bought some Bitcoin last week, last month, five years ago, whatever it is, if you want to see Bitcoin get to a hundred thousand dollars, which is always like the number that everyone kind of bounces around, is it not a lot of million. Oh I they are. That would be that would be really nice. So. <laughs> You know, if you own some crypto and you want to see it increase in value, which I think is most um, people that that hold want, it needs more people using it, whether that is retail investors or institutional and just opening up that next phase of adoption. And look, the adoption lifecycle for any new technology tends to kind of have that ski slope. Um, and it is technologies like the Ledger Recover that, that we provide that will create that.
0: Um, I'm going to touch on this. I, it it would be useful to sort of get your perspective if you're happy to to answer it. But what are some of the criticisms um, that this initiative is getting and what would you say in response to this criticism?
1: There's been some great content put, being put out from the Ledger, CTO and CEO, but you can find it on, on Twitter very easily. Hmm. But actually what's quite nice is that there are a number of sort of crypto commentators that now say, even if I don't use this service, I do think it's good for the industry as a large and that has been really lovely to see you know just from the industry more broadly.
0: So in response to the the keyboard warriors who are saying that this is bad for crypto your answer is well it's sort of not for you and it's to ensure that there's a mainstream adoption of this type of tech.
1: Exactly. Okay.
0: The last question I have for you really is 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 given your knowledge or your, your your involvement in the industry what coming projects do you see as a real game changer in the space
1: well coin cover obviously i've got to say have got to say that if uh, for the team that will be listening so i think <clears throat> the we've talked about draining the swamp we've talked about regulation and we've talked about the industry consolidating hmm. so i think for me there's not a, a specific project i i would highlight hmm. i think what i would say is that process of consolidation that process of draining the swamp and I think the, what I call the, the interoperability between those projects. Right. So when someone says, you know, I'm going to come out with a coin, um, it's going to be called the Mac coin and you can use it to, you know, buy a Diet Coke in his his living room. Uh, that That's interesting intellectually. Do I think that will be a top 10 coin in the next year? Yeah, yeah. As wonderful as you are, probably. And as great as your, your, you know, your podcast listeners are, probably not. So I think the interoperability between the various projects and the ecosystem it creates, I think is really coming to its own. And I think in the next six to 12 months, it'll be a really exciting space to be in.
0: Thank you very much for coming down. Really appreciate it.
2: Thank
1: you for having me.
0: This podcast does not contain any financial or legal advice, and you should not seek to rely on it as such. Opinions are the individual's own. This podcast was produced and edited by Joe Hawkins and music by Luke Carey. Thank you for listening and see you next time.